to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Hi there, welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I am Oliver Banks, your host, and also proud to be your guide to help show you the way to successful retail transformation. Thank you for tuning in to episode 154, number 154. A vast number of different transformation projects and programs in the retail industry have one thing in common almost every single time. They need engagement and buy-in from colleagues, from the front line, from the workforce. In fact, I'd even go as far as saying many, many, many transformation projects and programs live or die by the effectiveness of colleague engagement. But when you do get it right, things just work. You can overcome the toughest barriers. You'll build a culture that other companies are envious of beyond belief. And you build huge momentum for your wider transformation, which will in turn allow you to go on and drive more change and more benefits to your organization. But the people in this key fundamental area, both for your transformation as well as, blindingly obvious, the day-to-day operations as well, of course, your people, your colleagues have been through the ringer over the past year and a half. So many different challenges and they continue to come and test us in many different ways, right? So in today's episode, I'd really love to dive into the stresses and strains that the retail frontline is under. And in particular, what can you do about it? And I'm really keen to welcome a special guest here today on the show. Liam O'Meara is VP of Europe for Axonify. And in this role, Liam leads the go-to-market strategy for Exonify as they continue to grow into Europe. He has almost 20 years of learning experience and has played a key role in supporting Exonify as they won a number of prestigious learning awards, including Learning Technologies Best International Learning Platform Implementation and LPI's Learning Platform of the Year. Liam's got a great set of experience and has worked with many huge companies, including KPMG, AstraZeneca and Tesco, all focused on maximizing the capabilities of these huge workforces. It was also a pleasure to share the virtual stage with Liam at Retail Transformation Live earlier on in the year as well. We had a great fireside chat and reflected on a great panel and we'll touch on those later on, so do stick around to the end of the episode. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this one. It's a great conversation with some really startling statistics, so do reach out to Liam and myself and let us know what you think. All the links to get in touch are on the show notes, which you can find today at obandco.uk slash 154. That's ob and co.uk slash 154. Let's get into the conversation. So I'm delighted to welcome Liam O'Meara to the show. Liam, how are you? 
Uh, yes, I, I'm very well. Thank you, Ollie. Great to be here. Well, it's fantastic to have you here. I so enjoyed our conversations at Retail Transformation Live back in the summer. And it's wonderful to be diving into a huge topic right now. And that is, of course, all around workforce and the challenges that retail workforces are experiencing at the moment. We've seen huge amounts of chaos all around the world, triggered partially by coronavirus and a number of different other aspects as well. And this chaos often has people and the workforce linked, although not necessarily responsible, I might add. Whether it's HGV driver shortages, the closure of huge ports in China, the pandemic that affected so many supermarket and warehouse teams, or whether it's just classic supply shortages from toilet paper to CO2. We've seen massive chaos and massive implications, particularly for customers. But Liam, I'd love to ask you, what are the implications of this chaos to colleagues or, or, or the retail workforce? Yeah, um, as, as you said, I mean, there has been a constant set of changes recently. Obviously, the pandemic has hit everyone and hit everyone hard. And um, I think the frontline workforce were really, I guess, almost like the status changed. They, they became the heroes. We were sort of out on the, the doorsteps clapping the NHS workers. Yes, also, of course. <laughs> that seems yeah, so long ago. <laughs> it does. I mean, my, my, my kids are out there banging the um, the saucepans <laughs> every, uh, I think it was Thursday night, wasn't it? Um, yeah. But it's, it was really interesting because it wasn't just uh, those people. It was also you know, the people that were working in the grocery stores that you know, were, were keeping us fed and watered. It was, yes. it was the bin collectors, etc. And these people were all going out with the same sort of fears and concerns that you and I had. Um, we were sort of you know, sat at home, you know, potentially working on our computers as we are today. But these people are actually going out into the face of the storm, if you will. Mm. And this really created some interesting dynamics and some big changes that the sort of grocers were having to face in particular. You know, they, they're obviously having to reassure their own workforce about sort of the safety and safety measures that they were going to have to face. They were hiring lots of people at, at yes. the same time. So new people into, into the markets. Um, but then what they're having to try and do was obviously give their customers a certain level of reassurance as well, because you know, a lot of people were sort of fearful of what was going on around yes. COVID and all, all the situation. But it, there's just been a nonstop wave of change. You and mm. I were sort of talking before about my, my current holiday dilemmas, <laughs> that it's sort of for half term. <laughs> um, but it, it, every single day, sort of the goalposts seem to change. And this is what's sort of really creating a big sort of impact around sort of mental health as well. Mm. We do a, a global survey every year around sort of the frontline workforce. Right. Okay. And one of the big trends that we've actually noticed this year is I, I think it was something like 50% of the people were saying that burnout is, is one of the biggest sort of things that they're, they're facing. Wow. That's huge. If, it is. And if, if you think about it, it's, it's somewhat inevitable because there has just been so much change that we've been dealing with from almost like January a year ago. So it's the best part of two years now. And <laughs> there's only so much you can deal with. Um, and at, at some point, you know, people start to become fatigued by it all. And mm. you know, we haven't necessarily been able to jet off on the same holidays that we might have had in the past. So 
it has created some fatigue. And in the US, it's starting to manifest itself in terms of um, what they're calling the great resignation. So lots of people sort of feeling burnt out. And uh, you, you've probably heard that saying, a change is as good as a rest. Yes. Um, and it, it feels like there's a little bit of that sort of coming through here that right. actually people are saying, do you know what? Maybe I'm going to switch jobs just mm. to have a different set of circumstances to deal with. But yeah, so the implications on the workforce have been huge. And I, I think it will and has sort of generated a big sort of change in terms of what the, their employees need to do to support them. Mm. Well, I mean, that whole burnout piece is really critical. And it's something that perhaps not everyone has thought about. But again, depending on what industry or what category you're in, we've been experiencing this almost perma peak for like I say, almost two years now, and with peak just around the corner, that's not going to let up anytime soon, of course. This resilience, both to change, but also stress, has really been tested time and time and time and time again. And I think it's a really critical point that could result in some major challenges, both in the short term, you know, over the next next few months, but also in the long term, as whether it's people decide, actually, you know what, I don't want to work in retail anymore, or I don't want to work in this particular role anymore, or have long-term stress and anxiety issues that, again, continue to haunt people through their entire life, ultimately, which is just incredibly sad, to be honest. Yeah, no, it is. There are going to be some big sort of fundamental problems out of this. I mean, we have seen the spike in mental health issues just more broadly. But picking up on your point there, I mean, I, I think there's over a million vacancies just in the UK at the moment, yep. of which about 100,000 are, are driver related. And if, wow. if you think about the impacts, I think all of us have, have started to see in our day to day lives just about sort of the, the impact of the, the driver shortage. Imagine if that now starts hitting your store workforce as well. The implications for of retailers is potentially massive um and mm. i think actually things like the hgv driver issue it looks like a supply chain issue getting produce to store but it, it, it's it's far bigger than that i mean just imagine you, you talked about peak coming up just imagine the stores are potentially pretty empty and now you've got customers coming in trying to get that 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 gift for their the child or you know the the brussels sprouts or <laughs> whatever it might be Yes. And the shelves are empty. Imagine the pressure that's going to put on the people in store. They're going to be dealing with some pretty frustrated customers, I can imagine. Mm. So potentially, particularly in the supermarket world, potentially they, they need to you know, be training people in terms of how to deal with that customer frustration. Um, yes. Communicating with them about potentially when stock will be available, because we all have this sort of perfect picture of what Christmas should be. And um, I don't know about you, Ollie, I'm, I'm a bit of a late shopper. <laughs> so <laughs> the pressure increases quite dramatically and that can boil over into frustration, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, I want to get what I want or need at that particular moment. So sometimes just knowing it's available tomorrow could make all the difference to sort of a, a frustrated customer potentially. So mm. I, I, I think it should really force uh, people to start having a bit of a think about are they really enabling that frontline to deal with these challenges that may not seem 
directly related to them. But actually, I think the implications are that it will be because it's going to be the person in the store who's going to front up to that frustrated customer when there isn't produce available. Yes. And this is all, of course, on top of challenges that we've seen, and particularly in the last few years where I'm, I'm thinking the aggression that workers from convenience stores, for example, have got to face day in, day out. And this is before, by the way, there is that Christmas pressure, before there is that poor availability pressure that yeah. can just build that anxiety in a customer and and ultimately leads to unacceptable behavior. Let's not let's not beat around the bush. It is it is not acceptable to be abusing colleagues in store, right? No, but no, absolutely. But it's a great point in terms of actually, you know, we think about training store colleagues and we're thinking about, you know, oh, how to give great service and so on. But actually, there is a huge bit around conflict resolution, around dealing with disappointed customers that really we need to be thinking about pretty urgently, right? Because it's going to happen yeah. in the short term, right? I, I completely agree. I mean, Obviously, uh, I think it's the co-op that particularly led that charge about, yes. um, you know, sort of the, the abuse to staff, which, as you rightly say, is it's just unacceptable. I mean, it really is. But that was happening anyway. Now, I think what we saw during particularly the pandemic that actually consumers actually adopted a, a very different set of behaviors. And I, I think there was a, a lot more patience and just acceptance of the, the situation. But we kind of get fatigued as consumers to, to certain things and, and this sort of desire, you know, I want it and I want it now type approach, I, I think is probably back from what I'm, I'm seeing. And so then if you start layering on, well, produce isn't available, <laughs> it could be a little bit of a tinderbox in terms of conflicts, like you say, and that's going to put staff in some pretty difficult situation so mm. I, I i think you're you're absolutely right i think enabling them to to have the sort of skills to be able to navigate that effectively is going to be a, a key part of delivering that customer experience um mm. because it, it's not just about being helpful and sort of greeting them and you know sort of pointing them out it's it's actually dealing with the conflict and reassuring people which is yeah you know perhaps a skill that you, know, you might associate more with a police officer, for example, uh, yes. rather than a store worker. But you know, the situations they're facing are getting ever more complex and challenging. As a consumer, we look at a brand. We don't look at sort of the modality of shopping. But you know, if I go into a shop these days, I, I'm, I'm likely to ask about the online offer. Now, have I enabled my store worker to, to understand the online offer and, and what that means? And why I can't get a delivery slot or, or return it or whatever it might be. So yes. <laughs> the amount of situations facing the retail worker have, have gone up pretty exponentially, actually, but they're dealing with a much more difficult situation as well. So yeah, yeah. interesting times. I'm, I'm just sort of thinking, bouncing off what you're saying, it's actually almost compounded because if you have not faced into the silo challenges of online versus stores and you've got people then also worrying about, well, actually, I don't want to lose out on my commission or my bonus or whatever that is by pushing people to online because there is no sync up of that data, of that customer, of that reward aspect for, for the colleagues. Then 
not only are you dealing with that aggression, but you then got that personal worry of, oh, I'm going to lose out now as well. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, obviously that whole sort of omni-channel piece, there's, there's a massive implications there, as you say, in terms of where does sort of sale get recognized, who gets recognized, et cetera, et cetera, which, which, which is difficult. But, you know, ultimately as the consumer, you're not worried about that. No, <laughs> you're worried about... You have no idea to... about it. Right? <laughs> well, potentially, no, yeah. You just want a, the great experience. You, you, you kind of want what you want when you want it. Um, and you'd expect someone who works for that particular brand to, to know and to be able to support you. So, yeah, it, it, it does create even more complexity. And, of course, the dynamic at play here is that a lot of stores are trying to reduce headcount. Yep. So actually, <laughs> by the time someone actually finds someone to talk to, yeah, the frustration has probably already increased because they might have spent a couple of minutes just trying to hunt out someone to even have a chat with. Yeah. And then that poor person has got many more situations and complexity that maybe they're having to deal with. So, yeah, it's uh, sort of the perfect storm of things hitting that frontline worker, really. It is. And you used the term tinderbox a bit earlier on, and it feels yeah. definitely like that. But Liam, what can we do about this? What are, what are the different routes to solve this? Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we painted a bit of a doom and gloom story. <laughs> but um, there, there, are, there are lots of things that, that we can do that could help. I mean, I, I don't think there's a, a golden sort of ticket here because obviously I think everyone w- would be doing it. But one of the simplest things that people need to do is, is really increase that level of communication with the front line. Um, yes. a, a, lot of, a lot of people found during particularly the pandemic, they had absolutely no way of communicating with the front line. I mean, worse still, most of them didn't even know who the front line were, let alone have a channel to communicate to them. So by putting in place the right sort of systems and approaches, and being able to directly communicate with people is absolutely vital. A lot of stores have adopted their own practices for this. I mean, most of the customer base we deal with, you know, they might have some back channel like a WhatsApp group or whatever. Yeah, It's good, it's very effective, but it doesn't adhere to IT policy. It doesn't mean that the regional directors or the CEO could thank the frontline in terms of what they mm. We're doing through the pandemic or give them reassurance about what's going on, etc. So mm. yeah, and it's not it's not handled equally between different stores or different geographic areas or territories as well, right? I can imagine well no some no, people get is... great communication because they've got an area manager that says let's set up a WhatsApp group and I'll share it all that way, but not consistent, I'm sure. Well yeah, I mean if you've got a store estate of a couple of hundred stores and you've got an individual at each one who's supposed to be delivering that message. I mean, you potentially got a couple of hundred versions of that same message. Almost so, guaranteed, probably. <laughs> so it's, it's a bit like Chinese whispers, isn't it? When you use a cascade approach. I mean, what was intended as a start, by the time it hits the person, A, it's taken perhaps a week to get there, and B, it's probably gone through multiple different iterations. So actually what actually gets delivered <laughs> could be quite different. So I think that's one of the big challenges. And I think it, it's actually a relatively simple thing to put right these mm-hmm. days with sort of digital technologies. Most retailers now have got some sort of handheld device that they're using in stores, which can be 
a great access point now to those sort of communications, whether it's sort of top down or bottom up type communication. Yes. Sharing best practices, how how to deal with a difficult situation, or or you know flagging potential concerns and risks that that, that maybe head office needs to know about. Um, mm. That 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 can all now happen quite easily through technology. Um, yeah. And it's yeah that two way communication is an important piece as well, right? Because it, cascading information down in terms of here's the information, here's the information, really broadcasting out. But if you don't have that feedback flow, then you're going to miss all sorts of issues, opportunities, challenges, and and ultimately, it's like you're walking into a room with your fingers in the air, right? Well, yeah, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, first of all, just getting that top-down message out, I think, is a, is a massive problem for a lot of retailers. But yeah. <laughs> um, as you rightly say, doing it the other way has huge potential benefits. So not only do you start to spot you know, potential innovations. So one of our customers who's, who's a global fashion brand, mm. they they started to spot some best practices that were happening in a couple of stores and it was having a massive impact in terms of actually the average transaction size mm. and conversion. So that was kind of hidden from view, but actually yeah. by providing a, a mechanism to say, look, we're doing this, it's having a great impact. You can start creating some agility and and sharing best practice, which which is what we want to do. Um, yeah, definitely. But then, as you said, if people felt listened to, it starts taking away some of these concerns. I mean, we touched on burnout earlier, but you know, actually, if if you can start putting forward some ideas, some some messaging, some you know, some feedback to ideas, etc., and, and and feel listened to, that has a massive impact in terms of employer sort of engagement as well. So. I think that two-way communication, as you rightly say, is absolutely vital. But mm. then the second piece of it that can often get missed is then the enabling of the skills to deal with that situation. Yes. So, look, customers are going to be really frustrated if the produce isn't there. Brilliant. That's useful. Now, what do I do about that? So actually blending that sort of mixture of communication and, and training together is vital. But obviously, training thousands of frontline workers that can obviously be very costly very timely using traditional manners so again let's enable them to use technology and and learn when and where they need it not sort of perhaps what suits the um the organization in terms of putting them in the classroom or or something like that because frankly you know the frontline need to learn where the frontline is which is on the frontline so enabling them to access what they need when they need it i, I think is is vital as well yeah i think that's that's so good <laughs> because yes the traditional way has absolutely been you know that sort of tick the box classroom exercise perhaps organized by the store personnel manager or local hr manager or, or whatever but it's just not responsive enough nowadays right and particularly with you know coronavirus as well that adds another layer of complexity in terms of transmission etc but there's just so many opportunities to use technology to do this in a better faster more responsive more convenient way as well right well yeah i i I think you're absolutely right i mean if the last 20 odd months hasn't taught us anything i think it's the need for agile (laughs) workforces um you just look at it. I mean, whether it's just about training your people to deal with situations today or actually upskilling them to deal with the situation for tomorrow, 
agility is here and here to stay. I mean, a lot of frontline workers, actually, their role has changed and quite dramatically as well. I mean, a lot of store workers became your, your call center operation because actually everything mm. was then going digital. Um, yes. You know, your, your grocery store worker might now work in your warehouse and logistics and dark stores. And actually, that has an impact in terms of what they need. So mm. by upskilling and ensuring sort of competency across all of these different areas, it has probably become never more vital. And I, I can't see that slowing down anytime soon. But of course, the unique thing that you have here is that you've got sort of maybe a couple of hundred thousand workers in some of these organizations. Now, yeah. if you think about that, that's a couple of hundred thousand different skill sets, backgrounds, experiences, et cetera, mm. et cetera. So if someone could design one training approach that's going to meet all of their needs, well, congratulations, well done. Yeah. <laughs> the, the reality is that actually we're a bunch of individuals that we're trying to pull together into a team and create a lot of one sort of consistent approach. Mm. But the support every individual needs is personalized. Yep. And actually now with technology and AI in particular, we have the ability to personalize that to meet the precise needs that everyone has. It, you and I, Ollie, you know, we have different skills, different confidence, yeah. different behavior traits, et cetera, et cetera. So actually what we can do now is we can learn that and, uh, and actually apply that to learning. We do this every day with digital with our sort of websites, all that sort of stuff. We personalize mm. that experience. But unfortunately, that has not really bled through yet too much into sort of that learning approach. And that, that's, that's a big thing that we do at Exonify is how you create personalization, but at scale. I think that's a vital piece. If you really want to engage people, make it feel relevant to them. I mean, that's incredibly exciting as an opportunity. You're absolutely right. When you're talking about these big workforces, Frankly, even if it's not that size as well, right? If it's a, a fraction of that size, you've yeah. still got that huge variety of different personalities, different geographies, languages, all, all those different aspects as well, which in a traditional classroom, a good trainer could read the room and begin to tailor the training for the audience, right? Help paint a picture for us, Liam, please. What would this personalization look like with regards to sort of digital training? Well, so th there's there's different ways to do it, but I mean, one of the ways that we do it with Exonify is is actually taking into account what people know, but also what they're confident about, because it's mm. actually that combination of knowledge and confidence that applies yeah. to sort of you know good behaviour and and smart action. Um, so you're not switching people off by teaching them to suck eggs, so to speak. Well, quite, and there's nothing more frustrating. <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> if you already know something. And someone's telling you, and it's like, oh, come on, we know this. You, you start switching off very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, one of the ways that we sort of avoid that is because a, a lot of learning is about sort of telling people what to do. So mm. actually, we, we, we use a question-based approach, which is asking people to show what they know. So if they can show us that they're competent and they're, you know, that they're, they're happy with it, great, fantastic, let's move on. Yeah. But also... What that also does is it captures those people that think they know it, but they don't actually know it as well. Yep. Because there's that that's one of the most difficult sort of personality traits to to tackle. So right. the, okay. the confident person who's not very knowledgeable. And so they're confidently following your wrong 
standard operating process. They're, they're confidently <laughs> telling your customers the wrong thing. <laughs> they look fantastic. They, you know, they're saying it all br- brilliantly, but actually it's all wrong. Yes, um, I'm sure so we nice. can all think of examples perhaps <laughs> of colleagues that we've come across or maybe behaviours we've exhibited ourselves, right? <laughs> yeah, well, potentially, yeah. I mean, the fake it till you make it type approach. Yeah, it's, uh, but by being there to identify this at scale is the key thing because it's not that um, maybe someone does that with everything, but it might be of, say, their job profile. Maybe there's two areas that they're struggling in. Mm. The other eight, fine, that's fine. Yep. So then actually what we can do is the AI will automatically start focusing on those areas of concern. Yeah. Um, but digital is only one part of the jigsaw because obviously the manager and the support mechanisms that go around that are vital. So we would also then make that information available. And let's say, Ollie, I'm going to pick on you here. You know, let, let's say you've got two of those areas that you're struggling in. Yep. Well, the AI is going to try to help fix those problems. But then it's also going to signal to your manager to say, look, Ollie's struggling in these two areas. And maybe that's a chance to buddy you up with someone or mm. put you on some remedial training or whatever it might be. Or but potentially it's a high risk area. And it's like, you know what, Ollie, until you've you know, mastered this, we're going to take you off of doing that particular part of your role, for example. Yep. So it starts giving us both that scalability so that we, we know that We've got the ability to reach everyone a, a personalized way, but then also that ability to really enable that one-to-one touch point with a manager so that you can really maximize the support for that individual as well. Yeah, so that's really fascinating. So you're then blending both the pure information, shall we say, with actually the, the, the human side of building skills in terms of the coaching and finding the on-the-job experiences that are a safe place to to practice and try and and hone these different skills i think i I remember i did a train the trainer a long time ago and i think it's sort of 70 2010 is the the number i recall where actually 10 percent of it is kind of the information 20 percent of it is the coaching and then 70 percent of it is getting the opportunity to practice on the job and i think we're arguably we've got the 10 percent stitched up Although, as, as you pointed out earlier, we still make mistakes on that as well. But we need to supplement it with the other 90% of, of opportunities for really, truly upskilling the workforce. Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Because, I mean, I, I haven't heard too many sort of retail operators say to me, what I want is a really knowledgeable workforce. Now, they do exist, <laughs> but there's I, I, not really something that's come. But what, what they do say to me is, Liam, what I want are people that behave in certain ways or, or treat my customers in this way or deal with a situation like this. So really the thing that people want are those behaviors, which mm. are the outputs of the learning. And so that again, that's one of the things that we track. Um, so you can either do it formally or informally, but actually, Ollie, you've completed all your learning, but what difference has that made? Mm. Are you now applying that? Are you, you know, are you greeting our customers in the right way? Are, are you now... You know, operating in the warehouse through a safe set of practices, for example. And it's actually tracking those behaviors and then understanding what's happening from an actual behavioral observation point of view that really gives us that sort of sweet spot because knowledge is great. Get it out there. And as you said, there's lots of ways to consume knowledge, but is it actually really making a difference to behaviors and ultimately those KPIs that people care about? So that's one of the key focuses for us. 
I mean, it's incredibly exciting when you think about those opportunities and what you could open yourself up for, right, in terms of how you want your workforce and ultimately your business and your brand to develop and where and how you want to to take it in the future. It's, It's incredibly exciting. Liam, where can people find out more about about you and about Exonify? Well, for myself personally, I'm a, I'm a big LinkedIn person, so you can always find me at LinkedIn. Um, so please do look me up. I'm always happy to have a chat, so share any insights there. Um, mm. And of course, for Exonify, um, if you just go to exonify.com, there's all sorts of information there. I mean, there will be that latest global frontline report uh, coming out very soon as well, as well as other things such as webinars. I mean, some of our recordings as well i think are up there ollie as well so yep. yeah de- definitely a, a font of resources for anyone with a front line whether it's sort of a retail worker but also people in contact centers logistics etc cetera, etc cetera. There, there's all sorts of information up there so definitely worth a visit yes definitely and I'll, I'll make sure to put put links to those items in the show notes so do head over there and when that report is issued It'd be great to, uh, to to point you to it through the retail transformation briefing as well. So do look out for that. I'm really looking forward to taking a read. Sounds like there's some incredible insights there from the entire world. I was really surprised to hear how high burnout is as a risk. And ultimately, it's something you've got to face into pretty quickly because it is coming and you don't want to be caught short, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Good to say it better. <laughs> Definitely. Well, Liam, thank you so much for for helping us lift the lid on the chaos that that is currently in and around retail slash life. And actually, the opportunities of what you can do about that chaos rather than just sitting back and letting it wash over you and your (laughs) entire team. No worries. Well, if if it was helpful and gave some people some insights, then job done. So, yeah, no, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Ali. Fascinating. I appreciate you. And really, thank you for coming on to the Retail Transformation Show, Liam. Thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed that conversation there with Liam. I hope you did too. Those statistics around burnout were really eye-opening. I think it's something that we're going to really need to continue to watch. And although this episode was recorded really pretty recently... If you are in the UK, you will recognise that there is already a brand new challenge facing our colleagues on the front line. And that is, of course, the petrol crisis that is currently ongoing at the time of release. It's a great example of how quickly our times are changing and how volatile the world is around us right now. As I mentioned a little earlier on, Liam did join me on the virtual stage at Retail Transformation Live We had a couple of great conversations, so do head over to the show notes to find out more about those, obandco.uk slash 154. Also on the show notes today, I'll put some recommended further listening. There are loads of great episodes in the archives of the Retail Transformation Show just waiting for you to listen into. Here are a few to get you started. First up, let's go quite far back into the archives, episode 32 and 33, where I was joined by Paul Jocelyn, and we spoke about learning to transform your workforce, and in particular, 
developing a learning culture in your organization and understanding what that means and how to go about doing it. Very relevant listening to this episode, actually. Then in episode 118, I caught up with Julian Mills from Corso and explored the Agile Stores Manifesto. Now, flexibility and agility is a key piece for the future retail workforce, and you will need to be supporting them on that journey. So do check out that episode. And then finally, in episode 79, I caught up with Simon Heddo, and we spoke about retail store management structures. Again, another important part for building up the capability and capacity in your front line. So do go and check out all of those episodes, episode 32, 33, 118, and 79. But if you can't remember those, the one place to head over to is obandco.uk slash 154. And whilst you're over there, do sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing. It's absolutely free. It's going to give you all the latest insight and intel to help make sure that your retail transformation is a huge success. And as soon as that Axonify report that we spoke about is released, you know the Retail Transformation Briefing will be giving access to that intel. So sign up for free at obandco.uk slash 154. So thank you for tuning in to this conversation with Liam O'Meara from Axonify. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the Retail Transformation Show podcast on your usual podcast app. And I'll look forward to joining you in another episode very, very soon. Bye for now. Oh,